This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, Episode 62, L5R Brand and Rules Team Interviews from Gen Con 2012. Never Stop Gaming. Strange Assembly is a podcast and website about board games, card games, and role-playing games. Legend of the Five Rings, and beyond. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly here with what I'm going to call, for lack of a better word, the L5R brand interview. And there are are three of you here with me, and I think it'll be easier for the listeners if each of you introduces yourself uh, and says what you do at AEG. I'm Adrian Burton. I am the art monkey, Steve Argyle's lackey, as it were. I basically coordinate the art direction and write the descriptions and get them into frame and do all the various other little things that uh, need to be done. I'm uh, I'm Sean Carmen, writer. I am uh, Nicolas Bonjou, and I'm the handler of the Funhouse, <laughs> a.k.a. the brand manager for Alphavar CCG. Okay. Well, I think I have one question so far. I have to ask, Adrian, after listening to your job description, what does Steve do? <laughs> Steve is primarily over the logo and uh, for art critiquing uh, when we need feedback, when it's obvious that a piece is struggling. We send it to Steve. He does overlays, sketches, feedback to the artists, um, and then he also approves uh, sketches with us. So it's a really technical aspect. Yeah, he he's a, he works at a much higher level. I take care of the daily grind. Steve obviously has a day job that that requires a lot of his time, so we uh, we use him as efficiently as possible. <laughs> yeah. Now. I- I looked at the Embers of War logo, and it it kind of reminded me of something. And then you had a card called Fortress of the Lidded Eye of the the Lidless Eye, I believe, in the Shadows Embrace. So, is this the new Wu Tang Clan of references in L five R? No, we actually have Sauron as a bad guy in the art. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Clearly. <laughs> uh. First, let me also ask about the the job that Sean didn't mention, which is that he, unless I'm mistaken, he's now the head of the L5R RPG. That's correct. And keeping in mind that I am playing in the event tonight, so don't spoil anything, the Second City box set is coming out. It looks really cool. So why don't you tell our audience about that? All right, well... uh... You know, it's on sale for the first time here. Uh, it should be available elsewhere shortly. The the meat of it, so to speak, is that it has three uh, books. One details, you know, the the city itself and all the location um, of the second city in the colony, uh, which we designed to be as modular as possible. The second book involves the court of the second city, the imperial governor's court, uh, with lots of... Um, interesting personalities that uh, operate on pretty much every every level so that they can be as useful to GMs as possible. 
you know, high-level characters will find uh, suitable adversaries, but so will low characters, low-level characters. And the third book is a comprehensive campaign that starts off in Rokugan and ends up in uh, the Satan City and has the potential to send the characters back or leave them there, depending upon what a what a GM wants to do with them. Lots of little, uh, we call them fiddly bits, I guess, uh, <laughs> in the uh, in the production. There's a, a set of cards with uh, iconic art for the different clans that have the basic techniques from the core rulebook, um, all four basic schools that every clan got in the fourth edition rules have um, have all their techniques on a card so that you know you can just set out whatever you need for your character. It's got character sheets in it. It has some premium character sheets, which are actually kind of bound in a little booklet almost format with just every conceivable thing you could ever need to write down about your character. Uh, there's six of those because that's kind of the kind of the average party size, and then there's a tablet of I want to say it was 50. I can't remember uh, regular character sheets. If you have more people than, than six, uh, have some dice, uh, some very lovely dice uh, with the chrysanthemum logo in place of tens, uh, and then there's a couple of little uh, flavor books in it as well. One's a journal from a magistrate that you discover as part of the campaign, and the other is a pillow book. That is from the perspective of a samurai who just arrived in the second city to kind of help people, uh, GMs and players both kind of get an idea of what it's like and how it's different. And things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I got to see the contents for the first time last night when we got in, and uh, I'm really, I'm very pleased with it. I think it, it's, it looks really good. I think the, the writers did a great job, and uh, I think that was that Robert Denton's very first graphic design project for us. Or so the RPG. We, yeah, we really threw him to the wool. That was a real sink or swim, <laughs> and he did a he did a fantastic job. Absolutely. Now, the pillow book was written by Nancy, Nancy if I yes. recall correctly. Did she do the Magistrate's Journal, too? No, the Magistrate's Journal was written by um, the guys who were doing the campaign, which is primarily uh, Rob Hobart, of course, uh, you know, the architect of the first two Heroes of Rokugan campaigns. Uh, Dave Latterout, uh helped him out some, and I think he had a couple of his other uh, Heroes of Rokugan writers come in and pinch hit a little bit here and there. I think Ryan Reese worked on it a little bit, and maybe uh, Daniel Briscoe. Um, I if there's anyone right. else I'm forgetting, I apologize, but I think those are the gentlemen who brought the campaign to us. Yeah, it was a huge project, and so necessitated a lot of moving parts and lots of people to pitch in, so we actually would respect the production the production schedule and all that to be able to hit Gen Con. Yeah, we were, I was really sweating it there earlier in the summer, whether or not we were going to make it. We uh, the allotment for today sold out fairly quickly, which I'm pleased about. So we'll see see how it does the rest of the show. Okay, now you of course plan the RPG more than one product ahead. So is the am I recalling correctly that the Book of Earth is That's correct. The next? The Book of Earth is um, well, it, it should already be in layout. It's it's you know, it's en route to layout. I've pulled some art and things like that. As soon as Jen comes over, Robert will be working on that. And then Imperial Histories 2 is about to, is in the process of being written right now, early to mid-September is when the manuscripts are all due in. We had, uh, we had another contest like we did for the first one, which I think turned out amazingly well with uh, Jason Bianchi's uh, Great Famine period. And this time we had uh, three people, we haven't announced, I mean, they know that they won. I'm sure they've told me. But we haven't announced uh, their selections yet, and I think it's going to be uh, really interesting. Two of them are uh, like alternate 
replica guns, you know, what would have happened if this happened instead, and I think they're amazing, and then one is a actual canonical history period that we just never have delved into, I think it's going to look really fantastic. A lot of, uh, a lot of unexplored Eastern themes, I think, that we've just never really touched on yet, that uh, I think are going to get a lot of mileage in there. Okay. On the, I, I talked about this, the the power level side of it, with Brian Reese earlier, and Forgotten Legacy was obviously a, a very high-powered set, and there's discussion among players about, like, okay, so you're, including me, for like, okay, so maybe this is high-powered because you're trying to push sales. And I know that years ago, I had talked to Todd about maybe there weren't going to be any more direct-to-player sets because the financials on those are really hard. But I think a, a lot of us would look at that and think, like, oh, those direct-to-player sets should be a great moneymaker because you're cutting it. You know, there's no distributor. There's no retailer. AEG gets to keep all of it. So I was wondering, I guess, primarily you, Nico, is how do direct-to-player sets work from a financial perspective for the company? Well, I mean, they're... I mean, you know, you, you are absolutely right that it is hard to gauge exactly, you know, how it's going to do because it's a separate process and a separate way uh, of selling it. And so you do not have the same uh, time ahead like you have with distributors to know exactly, you know, how your sales are going to be. So, so you take some sort of leap of faith when, you, when you're doing that and when you're launching that into uh, into production. And so that's why we try to, you know, add a lot of cool to it. And because a lot of cool is exclusive and everything, obviously, that has a different cost that, you know, hey, a regular expansion. But that's a, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a viable model. It just cannot be a continuous model. It has to be a, you know, once every two years process where we just say, hey, we're going to do that. And let's make it super cool. And, you know, that's going to drive our production costs up from a regular expansion, but we can actually afford that to some extent because we're getting better return. Okay. Now, I mean, as you're aware, there was a, a lot of hubbub, uh, including among some retailers, about the fact that Shadows Embrace ended up being a, a factory set because of things with the delay of Emperor Edition. I mean, is there any more light you can shed on on how that decision was made? I mean, I know it's been said we looked at all the things that we could look at, and this is all this was really our our only good option. But there wasn't much more in the way of detail than that. Well, I mean, you know, like we said, right? I mean, there there are things that we cannot deviate from from a company perspective, right? And uh, we made the best out of the situation that was presented to us. I I don't think you know anyone will tell you that we were necessarily super psyched of having to change that expansion from a regular expansion to that model. But all in all, I mean, from a customer perspective, we try to just, you know, make it as as interesting for the final consumer. And I, I believe we did succeed with that. I mean, lots of people bought the entire thing. Um, that does correspond to the, you know, rough average that a tournament player is actually spending expansion by expansion, except that this time he gets everything in a playset. And we also have the, we also decided to go with the option to buy things separately because we also understand that people cannot, you know, not everybody can invest 200 bucks at a time, right? So 
That was our model. And for that moment when we made the decision to, to make the switch, I think it, it was a success. Okay. Now, Adrian, you have been doing posts about artwork and what you're looking for in, in the set. And, you know, you've got some ongoing, I think there's an ongoing battle between a, a ninja and a spider. Is this something new that you and Steve have injected into the art design process, or is it just something that was always there and we didn't really necessarily pick up on it because it wasn't specifically pointed out to us? I think it's existed sometimes, but as far as our part goes, we just thought it would be interesting. I mean, I've been trying to, when we give an artist a certain block of cards, I think it used to be in a lot of times it would just be like, all right, you get this personality, maybe this action, and this. Well... What I've been trying to do is, okay, you got this guy, you got this guy, and then I want a scene with those two guys in an action. And I think it's easier on the artist, because he doesn't have to redesign a new character. It's better for the players, because they get to see these guys now interacting or doing something else that, you know, if you like your character, this personality, you're going to see him elsewhere. I think it just brings more life to the, to the art. You get to see people interacting and, and just being part of the world as, instead of just as one little frame of the personality. Not to mention, I mean, so, so the thing is, it's absolutely true that it is new that it's spanning across multiple expansions. We've had situations where essentially you get a diptych and then, you know, being cut into cards. I mean, that has existed since uh, Shadowlands, I would say, or Forbidden Knowledge with Yoguni XP and... Yeah, and really Kishigo, like right? <laughs> and so that has existed, but the fact that we're actually taking, you know, those two guys and just moving them from set to set, yeah. because hey, you know what? You don't solve any battle or every battle in just, you know, one moment. Sometimes you have, especially with Ninja, <laughs> like hey, yeah, we oh, just wanted this like I'm epic rooftop well, duel that I will poof and see you next time. <laughs> I think in the most recent set, they finally made it down to the alley next to them and like. Exactly. The ground so, and getting ready to... so that's a new thing, and that's also part of the uh, trying to to capture, like you said, those moments of life wherever they are in the empire, well, on the road, you know, on the mainland or in the colonies, and you know, see how that advances. And so, I mean, that's part of the attention to detail that we try to, you know, better. I mean, a lot of things are well into place and at a very high level, and we want to bring that to a great level. And so when you take the preview uh, schedule, for instance, I mean, the preview schedule as it was before was great, but what was good. And, and, and now with, you know, those little articles that we're trying to do, I think they bring um, the consumer into the process to some extent. And they try, you know, they, they see, they, they start to understand what the process is from a very focal point, And they can see what Adrian is, is dealing with and how the uh, basic description came into that final result. And I think that's a plus, And I think that players actually do, lo- do really like those articles and the way we've uh, modified the uh, preview schedule to, you know, to integrate that. So... After Seeds of Decay is, I think, on sale sometime this weekend at the booth, and it's going to be handed out at the the 10K card event. What is next for the CCG after Seeds of Decay? 
So yeah, we're 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 actually releasing a uh, second print of Emperor Edition, uh, in which we're adding a little quirk uh, as far as boosters go. Essentially, we're creating it as a second entry point into the art, and so we're you know making sure that old cards are making it back into the boosters, so that you know if you do not have Before the Dawn, Second CD, or even Embers of War, you can get those cards into that, uh, into that product. And we're also uh, releasing a learn-to-play uh, product that focuses on the uh, uh, War of the Twins, so that you know, players can see exactly what happened and how, <laughs> how bad Tsukimi ended up being the way she is in, at the start of Emperor Edition. <laughs> and poor Sean and Fred, or, or at least Fred, I don't know if Sean listens to the podcast, don't have to listen to us go, why don't they just tell us what happened during the... Oh, I wrote 16,000 words about it. I'm not telling anybody anything until <laughs> the, the set comes out. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it'll be all for nothing. And again, right, I mean, we have the preview, the preview schedule, and that's going to be, you know, some of that is going to be dedicated to little excerpts of that book to see, you know, oh. So it was just oh. not that dual, you know, something else. I know when you've written that much, Sean, is that going in the product? Like we have, like in some products, we've had a little absolutely mini story it's, it's, it's a and... separate story booklet, and then we have the uh, rule book, which is which actually contains a uh, step-by-step uh, playthrough of the first couple of turns. I think it's three. So that anyone who picks up the game with graphics and everything, like diagrams, so that you know every card is numbered in the order that you're you're gonna get it in the deck. So that when you play your first game of L5R, you will see the cards in the order that they are being discussed, and you will essentially be able, you know, be guided through that first step. Uh, you know, on the the subject of learn to play, there has been some. Discussion there was, uh, I mean, on the AEG forums, but also some people talking about on the Board Game Geek forums about how they think L5, maybe L5R is a little dense to get into, and they'd really like a, a video tutorial and why, if every Kickstarter in the world can have a, a video of how to play their game, why doesn't AEG have that uh, for L5R? Have you guys? looked into to being able to put something up on, on, on YouTube? We have absolutely looked at doing something professional because, you know, we want to have that standard for everything we do. And, uh, you know, I mean, it went through multiple passes and the result was not what we expected. So, you know, we want to, we want to do it right. So if it takes us slightly longer, then so be it, right? I mean... There are entry points, I mean, with, you know, with the expansions and, and the base sets that we're doing, we have multiple entry points at, you know, within a relative condensed uh, schedule. So, I mean, you know, if it's with the uh, next base set, then it will be with the next base set. But we are definitely thinking about that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we know that the game is complicated to get into. I mean, it could be also a great demo tutorial for anyone who's actually running demos in stores. They could, you know, look at it and get pointers. That can be a, I mean, we, there are a lot of options and a lot of things you can do through a uh, video tutorial of how to play the game, so. 
I was wondering, I don't know if Sean or, or Unico would be best to come to this, but what what usually is the process for and, and the interaction between the different segments of the L5R team in deciding what name or noteworthy characters or objects are going to end up going into a, a particular set and why they are? And, and the, the sort of thing that's making me think about this is that the the starter decks so far have had the cycle of celestial weapons, and the spider didn't have a celestial weapon, so they got the ancestral sword of the Hante again, which has story implications. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of got the the sense that maybe that they'd have just been okay. Well, we needed to do something cool for the for this slot, and then we'll figure out the story later. Or how you know how do those things usually happen? Uh, generally speaking, Reese will let me know when they're beginning to design, you know, the cycle for designing an expansion is going to start. Uh, and he lets me know when it's going to be, you know, we're designing expansion X and it's going to release at this time. Um, so I look at the overall arc plan and determine, you know, what the pivotal events that are going to happen in that expansion are going to be. So then I'll put together a, a document that lists the, the broad themes of the expansion. Uh, and then a little narrative of the the major events, as well as a you know a, a breakdown by individual clans of what their story is going to be about in that expansion. And then if I if I have someone that I need in terms of a personality to appear in the set, you know I can request them at that point. I don't remember since Reese took over. I don't remember asking for someone that he didn't give me. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I, I don't. There's a plan. I don't need anyone in particular for this. Or he'll say, "Can we do so and so?" And I'll find a way to work them into the story and things like that. And so, then I kick that document out to the the brand team, and uh, we figure out based on the themes. We figure out what the title is going to be, and uh, Steve will start work on a, a logo, and then Brian will start work on design, and uh, eventually, um, you know, we get a little farther into it. I'll create a bit more of an elaborate document for than that, you know, go into a little more depth because we've had time to develop the ideas a little bit more for Adrian and then he goes and finds cool ways to represent it in, in the art. And then eventually Reese finishes up playtest, he has a typeset, Adrian gets in the art, Brian drops it into the PDF, they send it to my team, we do the flavor text, send it back for final typeset and then it goes out to everybody in the company to uh to check for any horrendous oversights that we've all managed to not see. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, it's it, it takes place over a long period of time, but it's actually not, not a very complicated process. And because the design team is keeping track of all the, also keeping track of the uh, storyline tournament wins, oh, yeah. whenever we, you know, we have results that make sense to include in a set, then we try to do so. Obviously, we don't want winners to wait forever to <laughs> see their car, right? I mean, Duncan. We, we absolutely understand uh, yeah, Duncan, Duncan, Duncan on the design side is, I mean, keeping tr keeping track of all of that, and so it's we we integrate right, and we know that we can't always integrate, you know, everything from the same season at the same time, but we 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 do our best to satisfy everybody. Pretty good with, with slotting that. stuff when. Yeah. I mean, I I've, I remember some results coming in, and then that set that we were working on. We we sometimes find a spot for it. And, and to be fair, right? I mean, if you have won a tournament, if you have won a tournament, you get a card, and you have to wait a little bit more. You also know that art will also have had extra time to think about your card. So when you see the result, you can be like, oh, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been like that, exactly like that. 
<laughs> would have been, you know, again, would have been great, but this is really KeyCast. This is really awesome. This does represent my win. We talked a little bit about the preview schedules with, with regards to the art, but every expansion, you guys send out a bunch of previews to the clan forums, and recently there was a new Mantis board created, and... The Mantis previews for the set then went to the new Mantis board rather than the Mantis board that had been around and servicing that community. How was the decision made to send that to to the new site instead so the, of the existing So the one? decision was actually made with their consent to alternate between okay. the two sites. We do not want to create situations where there's a rift due to the community or the interest of people that ultimately impacts the community, the overall clan community, right? So, you know, sometimes we sometimes we are forced by the events to shift entirely to another clan forum. That has happened in the past. But in the case of the Mantis, we're just, you know, alternating. Because, you know, if people want to go to that clan site, and if they don't want to go to that clan site, why, you know, punish them and say, hey, you, know, you always have to go to that site. And if you want to get your fix of Mantis cards, <laughs> this is where you have to go. So we're trying to, everybody's trying to be very uh, social about it. And, you know, and unless there's an absolute rift where we have to make a decision, there's no reason for multiple sites to cohabit, I guess. I, I'm... I'm glad that that was to hear that that was amicable because I, I i saw that and i thought back to the mess that went down with the competing scorpion boards that's something we do not want to be <laughs> happening no and I you know i mean again that. you know unfortunately if our hand is forced we'll have to take action but if we can you know manage to make everybody happy we will try to make everybody happy in that regard now, I guess each of you has, I guess Sean most recently of all, has taken on uh, some sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm stretching when I say recently, but at least in the last several years, each of you has taken on a new role at, at Alpha, right? You know, Nico, you became the brand manager, Adrian, you came in and started doing art, and Sean has just gone from, what, sort of running the RPG to totally running the RPG? Uh, That's more or less correct. <laughs> what? change has each of you put into place in that position that you think has been most beneficial to L5R overall? Um, I would say for the art, um, I've developed a sort of ranking system for the artists and a prioritization queue that makes sure that the, the best artists get the most work and have the most high-profile work. And it's it's a running list that can shift, so they have a, a general ranking, and then they also have a score from how well they did in the prior set, and then I run a composite in my table, and basically for the next set, I filter by who has the highest score. People at the top get the most assignments, they get to pick on the highest priority stuff. If they're really high and they have a, a clan they really like, I always try and give them that. And... Um, on top of that, we also make sure that we send out a survey to new artists that kind of ask them what their strengths and weaknesses are and what they prefer to do. So we're trying to give the artists work that they enjoy more 
work that uh, they're more comfortable with, and therefore we get a better product out of them. And we are trying to, towards the bottom, edge out people that maybe we're not getting our best dollars value worth for, um, people that uh, that you know just aren't quite fitting in the into the style that we're that we're looking. And so the, through this process, as we do this, I, I really feel like we're getting a stronger body of work each set. Well, I haven't, uh, I haven't changed a tremendous amount about what I'm doing with the RPG just because, uh, I mean, I've only done, I guess technically I was in charge of strongholds, although I didn't do everything on that. Todd had already pulled the art for that one before he handed it off. Uh, so the first project I actually did full duties on was the Second City box set, which has just now come out. In terms of changes that I've made, I, you know, Todd did a fantastic job, and I haven't altered it very much at all. Um, I'm using, trying to use more art from more recent expansions when I'm uh, pulling art for a book. Ideally, art that, like for the Book of Earth that I'm about to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm started but have not completed art selection on. I'm going to be using art from the expansion after Seeds of Decay, right? So by the time that comes out, it should be slightly before, slightly after that expansion. So, you know, the people in the RPG are getting to see, in some cases, art before it is released and as part of the card game, which, you know, I think is, is really nice for people who follow both. And plus it avoids repetition. I mean, I, I, there are some pieces that I just adore that I'm sure I've used in at least two books already <laughs> in my short term, and I've got to try and not do that um, just because all the books would end up looking the same. Uh, other than that, the only thing that's being done any differently, I think, is we I added a, another graphic designer. You know, Hal Mangold established kind of the look for fourth edition and just, you know, absolutely phenomenal job on his part. Just redesigned it from the ground up, and it's amazing. And, and you know, he's just, obviously, he's in very high demand. I mean, he's extremely skilled, and uh, and so it can be hard to, to get him to schedule in things like the RPG books and things like that. Um, but one of our new writers uh, on the story team as of last year uh, Robert Denton is also a graphic designer, and uh, he did Strongholds and he did Second City, and I think he's done he's done very well. And it's it's nice because we don't have to worry as much about you know will our completion date sync up nicely with Hal's schedule, and uh, and will our um, you know will will the time frame work out? And and Robert knows the Robert knows the, the world very well, right? So I mean he can almost proof as he goes. And we get an extra level of scrutiny on the final product. You know, he can if he sees something that's you know not correct, he knows it, and he you know he has authority to change it as necessary as it goes. But other than that, uh, you know, it wasn't broke, so I haven't I don't know, fixed it. Exactly. I think yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right in saying that. You know, again, we were at a good level, and we're trying, you know, to bring everything to to a greater level. And what my job is, is to make sure that, you know, we have a structure and we stay within that structure. And once you have that structure in place, the individual parts get actually more freedom to do what they're supposed to be accomplishing. And I guess, you know, from my standpoint, I've tried to bring that structure and that consistency product to product that comes from individual people's the individual person's greater freedom within their within the task so I guess the only thing that I've really changed is the uh, preview schedule 
trying to integrate all aspects, just not the cards. And uh, again, I think we're getting great feedback from that. So <laughs> we fully plan on, on continuing to do that, sharing those little tidbits of uh, internal information if you want to, diluting that and turning it into a uh, ready-for-the-player uh, document that they can use and, and with which they can relate better, I guess, to the product in some way. Okay. And now, from time to time on the forums, uh, you'll see somebody saying that, oh, they either they, they want L5R to, to change or that, oh, they've heard from somebody that with the next expansion, L5R is going to change to, uh, I guess, what's always called the living card game model, which isn't, I mean, that particular term of art is trademarked by, by Fantasy Flight, but to a, non, a non-collectible, which is really what distinguishes the living card game from collectible card game. Have you has AEG ever actually given any consideration to that or to the full switch? Yeah, because obviously you already have an occasional direct to player set, yeah. which is and essentially I mean, you know to some extent. That, I mean, if that you want to look is. at it that way, TSE is actually even closer than a DTP set to to that model. But I mean, we're in the business of collectible card games, and that's what we want to do. We want people to trade cards. We want people to interact from the moment they buy their boosters between that moment till the moment they actually play a game. And the social aspect of you know, meeting people, trading cards, whether it's live or through the internet, that's part of that model that we've chosen. So, I mean, there's no plan on shifting L5R to a full-fledged, non-collectible card game model. But I gotta say that we have a very active rumor mill in the L5R <laughs> community. You do. So, you know, I mean, that's what, you know, I mean, that makes, that means it's vivid, right? I mean, this is a living community. So, yeah, that's good. That's one of those you have. I heard there's gonna be a new clan that's a bunch of World War II vets. That is true. I don't know if that's true, but I heard that. That is somewhere. true. Yes, that was, uh, and that's very cool. I really liked the game. The gamers' darkness rising, especially, and I think it's really neat that AEG's kind of tied into their, uh, that, yeah, their that third bomb, movie. You know, that atomic bomb messed everything up. <laughs> so sorry, no Yobanjin. Thanks. <laughs> World War II vets. Uh, After destroyers, thanks. There you go. <laughs> so, this is actually on my list, although it's more appropriate to about two years ago, and I keep forgetting to ask it when the right people around, but it does have to do with changing factions. And I was wondering, what was the process for switching? How was the decision made to switch from just the Shadowlands Horde to the Spider-Clan? Was that a story-generated decision? Was that a brand-generated well, decision? Uh, that was done during the, um, the brief window of time when I was planning to quit uh, because we were going to adopt and then I decided I didn't want to do that, you know, because I liked it too much. So I came back, and then I was, you know, this was going to happen, and that was going to happen. You know, during that window of time when things were kind of up in the air, that's when I, I personally think the stuff that came out of that was really cool, right? I think the the Shogun's Advisors, they come out with that when I was kind of out of the loop, and uh, the the Horde switching over to the Spider Clan. I Primarily for that, I think it was just the fact that, you know, for every tournament, there had to be a different result if the Shadowlands won, right? 
you know, all the clans, this will happen. Oh, unless you're playing Shadowlands, and then, and then you know, you'll get this instead. Right? In which case, you eat the Yeah, right. You get, you know, you get to pick your own triple the scoops. The guy, and now you eat him. Of, uh, you get to get pick three scoops of ice cream if you win, unless you're Shadowlands, and then you get Froyo, right? I mean, it was just always slightly different, and, you know, and it was annoying. And, and so switching them to the spider uh, just made it more uniform, right? And now if you win, you get X, and it doesn't matter who wins. Everybody, everybody gets it. So uh, I think it was just a... An issue of, I don't know, pragmatics. Maybe it was just more practical to uh, to have everybody on the level playing field. And it makes you know who used to be the bad guys more human as well, right? I mean, you you yeah. can totally we've proved in this arc, right, that you can totally have viable beasts that are out there. And to clarify, even if you're going to be listening to that after Gen Con, we will not let if it's a Unaligned, the unaligned win if it's Forgotten Legacy, you know, like I was saying, the Forgotten Temple, you know, we will not let that poor monk get eaten by Gozaru and Oni. <laughs> so, but we will make it work. So, um, so yeah. Do we, I mean, do we think it, that's going to happen? <laughs> do we think that's going to happen? It's possible Forgotten Temples wins as unaligned. And, I mean, the top of clan, they pick a monk. So, but it will, you know, we'll make it work. And I, so I think, yeah, I think it just makes, you know, everybody on the human playing field. And that's, uh, that's really important for the cohesion of the, uh, of the overall result of the story. So, and I think a great community that was not necessarily cohesive came out of that. I mean, the spider, they're really tight knit, right? I mean, they're a very, very tight knit community. So I think it, it came out okay. Okay. So, okay, I think that's all we have today. I'd like to say thanks to uh, Nico and Sean and Adrian for joining us here today. Thank you you. for having us, and And, thank you for listening to us. Okay, and uh, you guys have a good rest of Gen Con. Thank you. In case there hasn't been an intro to this segment yet, I'll tell you again that I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. I'm sitting here right now with rules team member Brooke Cunningham, who is being derelict in his head judge duties for the grinders going on as we speak. For for the betterment of your program, I'm being derelict, so... Yes. Oh, no, we appreciate that you're being derelict. I'm <laughs> yes, just yeah. saying, if if you were in the grinder and oh, you're oh, listening oh, oh. and there was a bad ruling, it's Brooke's fault. No, no, the invitational, the grinder doesn't start till noon. I plan to be back before noon. Ah, uh, well, those invitational people who hopefully they don't better, need that yeah, many they rulings. They need to know the rules already if they've already <laughs> pre-qualified and earned the invitational. That was my, <laughs> that was my rationale for, <laughs> for taking off. Okay, so let's... Start with the the very basics, other than answering sometimes mind-numbingly obvious questions <laughs> on the rules forum. What is involved in being a rules team member? Oh, so much more. Uh, not a lot more, but uh, besides the answering the rules questions, we also, before every set of cards goes to print, we make sure that the that the legalese of the of the wording of the card is formatted how we want and how design wants. It's sometimes tricky uh, making sure that the card follows design intent and the rules. We know what the rules are and uh, design 
doesn't always uh, the, the card doesn't always come out of design with the exact right wording for it to work as design intends it to work. Do you ever just go back to design and tell them no? This card will never work. Please stop it. Uh, no, we the they're always they're always too vague. They'll always work somehow. It just uh, they're usually a little too vague on how they're supposed to work. Sometimes we don't know exactly what design wants us to do exactly. <laughs> Like, okay, so you say uh, it's a, it'll target a personality or a follower with a gold cost of six or less. Now, do you mean personality and follower with gold cost of six or less? Or is the gold cost restriction just on the follower and it can target any personality? You know, we have to ask that because they don't necessarily have their commas in the right place or the, or the phraseology exactly perfect. And we get, it, we get it perfect, or we try to before it goes to print. Yes, yeah, yeah there is... Unfortunately, and I'm absolutely shocked by this, Brooke, it turns out you're not perfect. Uh, yeah. I remember that what the Empress's Address, which worked completely differently because it said it had a, an, an article in there. Yeah, or it, it, uh, it had an offending A that we had to excise <laughs> via a, a technical erratum. Yeah. I can react to anything by resurrecting. Why, that's fantastic. No. Yeah, so some things do slip by. Do you have any interesting stories of a particular card you can think of that came to you from design in an absolutely hideous, unworkable format that you had to well, whip into shape? Nothing specifically comes to mind, although although Brian's gotten better when he first started being the lead designer. Sometimes the cards would come out uh, with 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 Warlord text. You know, I don't, I, I don't know what, the, what bowing was in Warlord is. Tap tap us or not. <laughs> whatever whatever it is or expend something to to do that. Uh, that's that's ancient history though. Brian certainly we've we've certainly beaten the legalese into him. So the cards come out more looking like their final version before we get them than than they used to. Do you ever try to sneak anything by you? Like, well, I'm sorry, Brian. You have to. Yeah, the rules say that this personality's force is too high. You have to reduce it. God, don't print it like that, no, please. No, 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 we're, we're not... <laughs> uh, that, that's, uh, as far as uh, the balance of power is concerned, that's more for playtest and design to, to vet. <laughs> Brian specifically discourages us, the rules team, from from uh, from making those sorts of calls. Like, geez, this is really powerful, are you sure? And sometimes, I mean, he wants us to say that, but... Uh, only if we think it's a mistake. <laughs> Only if we think that, that they didn't realize it was that powerful and we saw some sort of ridiculous combo that they didn't. That's when he wants the, the commentary on the, on the power level. If we just think it's too much force, he's like, no, 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 playtest is fine. <laughs> did, 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 uh, did this crane courtier supposed to have 11 force or 1? I'm just... <laughs> well, it, it's rare we get typos like that, of course. of course. And even the typos slip through. Iuchi um, Taiyu with his personality <laughs> that he targets in Second City, I think that one was, or Before the Dawn, one of the pre-emperor ones. Yeah. Uh, now... Oh, and oh, and the and the one who makes a two force, two force, two personal honor token. That was, yeah. And, oh, and not not a token. It's a created card. Gosh, I hate it when people call them tokens. And then I went and did it because I'm old. Yes, it's hard not to call them tokens, especially since you the physical created card that you know we we talk about those as token cards, even though there's they no are, such they thing are as a token created card. card proxy cards. Yes, exactly. Now you, of course, are not the rules team in and of yourself. Although, perhaps, I mean, I guess for this segment, you could pretend that you are. I could, no, no, no. Uh, you know, Brian Reese is sort of our 
of our oversees all the design and rules and playtest and whatnot. And then under him is uh, Roger Ginnersarola, who is sort of the overhead of the, of the entire rules team. If the rules team was a snake, he's the head of the snake. And then uh, then there's me and Alexander Jones over in England, and uh, then there's John Palmer somewhere wherever he's from, and then Ben Higgins, who's new, and he's been busy lately, but you'll see him again more. He's Daidoji Ryushi on the forum, and he's from the East Coast. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it right now. Just the just the four of us, Slackies and Roger. Uh, did I say four? Yeah. yeah. Me, Alex, John, Ben, yes. Yes, four, four Lackies, yes. If four Lackies was... and Roger. So... Roger. Roger actually, Roger actually is the, is the pre-reader, so the for all I know, Brian could still be using Warlord terms because at first it goes to Roger, and he gets it all in, in line with the style guide first, and then we sort of double check Roger's work. Uh, the, the the other four of us, so it's a multi step process, and we get about like three different versions of the PDF, and then sometimes Brian completely changes the cards mechanics between like the earliest version and another one, so we have to completely rewrite it <laughs> to so that the mechanics are fit the format. So if the rules team is a snake and uh, Dr. GS is the head of the snake, who represents the mongoose, who is your arch enemy of the rules team? Ah, uh, the arch enemy of the rules team? Really? Uh, we're... I don't think we ha- I don't think we have a natural predator actually. We're we're on an we're on a we're on a mongoose-free island. We're there's where if there's anything it's just a la- it's, 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 there's only thing I, I I dislike it's the lack of notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why we're here, that's isn't it? That's why we're here. That's why I'm taking it's for my ego is why I took the time out of head judging <laughs> to come here completely for my ego and I'm sure I'll look like a complete doofus on the your program. Uh, well, maybe you guys should lead some sort of revolt. I mean, Brian's got you a little whipped. You know, he's he's in charge of the rules team oh, whereas he- if I, I think over to Magic but you know, Maro, their lead designer, always talks about how the whoever's in charge of the rules is his greatest enemy because he always comes back and tells him, "No, cards can't do that in this game." You need uh, to no, yeah, Brian, a little revolt. Brian does. Brian does what he wants. He uh, he took uh, he took Kiho uh, away from Shugenja. Shugenja. I don't know if you noticed. No, yes. no. Shug- there are no Shugenja performable Kiho anymore in Emperor Edition. I kind of actually didn't even notice he did that because I've been focusing more on my Scorpion Ninja deck than my Phoenix Shugenja deck in this edition. I didn't even notice he had done that. Oh, and I have a Phoenix Monk deck too. But again, that yeah, wouldn't, that wouldn't that wouldn't underscore it for me. I didn't even notice until until he mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. I I figure that I had I had noticed that, but I I figure that's because spells. Spell, Especially spell. with all the zero cost spells, what there's and the battle equip makes them almost keyhole themselves. Feel like now. anyway, yeah, you need the so you take the Shugenja have that. It, yeah, it lets you. Add so it makes sense. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying darn you, Brian, for taking the keyhole away from Shugenja. No, it, make, it makes sense from a design standpoint. So I totally. But yeah, he can. He does whatever he wants. He. We, oh, we, oh, I just remembered a mongoose. How about? <laughs> What's the uh, what's the crab berserker stronghold? Halls of the Halls of the Damned? Halls of the Forgotten? Halls of the Forgotten? The the new one the, the is one the one that delays the delay. things. Yeah, the d- delaying effects. That's we've we've adored dealing with that one. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there? I don't even know how that came out. Wasn't there a question with the the stuff where you that says like superior reach? You can't 
perform an action? Is that an effect on the personality that gets delayed or an right. effect on the player? Right. I don't even remember what the answer to that one I believe it's, it's, it was an effect on the personality, what he may or may not perform. I, I didn't rule that way at first, but I think I, I, think I got outvoted. It's a democracy on the rules team. Uh, just uh, we, um, we mostly agree, but I, Alex is a good foil for me. We don't agree a lot, and so I get, I get John or Roger or Brian to outvote him or vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, so I imagine that there's a secret rules team forum somewhere where you uh, oh, have these debates. I don't have access to any of the other secret forums, but I have access to that one. <laughs> so I, yeah, we we look at the cards with fresh eyes. We don't see them in their in their play test versions. We just see them as, as after they've been fully vetted by playtest and design, then they come to us. So we see them freshly, and and that's how Roger likes it. So yes, we have a secret form where we're, when we say under, when we say under discussion, we're not we're not just saying I'm not gonna I, let's 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 hope they forget about it. No, we actually do take it to discussion in our secret treehouse and discuss it at length sometimes. So even if you think we've forgotten, odds are we probably haven't. Although we might have, <laughs> we're, we're only human after all. Although I haven't met Alex, he may be a robot in person. I haven't. If he was a good enough robot, you maybe meet him in right, person. Right, right. What's still that test? Know. I can't think of it. I, I'm Turing? The Turing test. That's right. Yeah. Are you a, are you a computer? <laughs> not really. No. I'm not a computer. <laughs> that wasn't what you were asking. No, no. That was really more of an exemplar that, that of what the Turing Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, Gen is so much fun. Yes, what well, says right there on your shirt, we make fun. We make fun. That's what AEG so does. Make some fun for me right now. Well, I oh goodness. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's legal in this state. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's what 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 happens on an a a recorded thing in Indianapolis stays in the recorded thing in Indianapolis and the rest of the internet. Chris, why are you locking the door? <laughs> Chris? I, oh god. No. Oh, don't lie to the people, Brooke. The door's no. been locked this whole time. <laughs> That's <laughs> help me. No, I don't. I don't deceive the people. No, the rules team has to be completely as honest and transparent as we can be. Otherwise, the people don't know what they're doing. Gotta follow the rules. Play the game. Yeah. See, I, I imagine that. At the rules team, you'd find it incredibly frustrating when you see reports of, oh, and then the Cote T.O. said that he didn't care and he got the rule however he wanted. Uh, it, ha, ha, ha. It, it grinds my gears a bit, to, to paraphrase Peter Griffin, but um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's going to happen, like everybody's human. I was, I was at the Chicago Cote this year, and, uh, and Dan Jacobson was judging, and he asked me something, I was like, I'm not sure, actually, I could look it up, but... Uh, and we both got it wrong on site, uh, but I, so, oops, it wasn't a big deal, but it can be tricky sometimes. <laughs> That's what's appealing about Elfire, though, isn't it? The complexity, the strategy, the... Yes, although when you're the TO, it's not fun to realize after the tournament that, oh, wait, that ruling that we spent five minutes discussing to try to figure out what it was, we got it wrong anyway. Right. Well, yeah, Dan was an old, Dan was only asking me at Chicago after the fact, after it was already done and gone. It's not like we were, you know, deciding a match at that time. Otherwise, I would have made sure we got it, got it right. Yeah, would it would it be humanly possible for you guys to make the negation timing any messier? I mean, possibly at all. Uh, 
yeah, we could, but we're not going to make it messier. We'll hopefully make it uh, cleaner. We try. And what was that? Oh, we just we just had a giant messy thing with Pillow Book. Oh, Pillow Book, yes. And an order of things coming into play. Well, and... you see, <laughs> I thought there was a precedent for Pillow Book with the Obsidian Dragon uh, in Samurai Edition. His potentially fluctuating penalty from his trait. And I thought that would govern Pillow Book nicely, but uh, the rest of my team did not uh, agree that that was a good way to track the uh, bonus, so now it, 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 it fluctuates with circumstance as opposed to being set when it, com- when it comes into play. We added, a, we added an entirely new step for figuring out stats because of Pillow Book. I thought it went... I thought the... Oh, see, I, I'm, see, I'm sure I thought the ruling on that went the other way, that it is set when it comes into play, and then it doesn't. I might have ruled that no. way initially, but we no. ch- but we changed it. Now I'm going to have to go back and relook at everything we've talked about over the course of this. Uh, I'm sorry. We should yeah, talk yeah, no, about had... obvious ones. If the card says bow, target, enemy card, can I target my own card? Oh, okay, see, that one I know the answer to. Okay, now right, I right. it better. Right, right. It wouldn't be worded that way because <laughs> targeting goes in constraints now. <laughs> We're too old. We, we we're, we're too old because we remember. Yeah, I, can we talk about can we talk about the oracle? You want to talk about the oracle about how I I, I took every oh, every, right. every old card's wording <laughs> and updated it to Emperor edition think, templating. Whenever Yobinjin edition comes out and you guys have to completely change how templating works again, you'll have to redo it all. Uh yeah. I'm so every time Brian suggests, hey, wouldn't it be great if we change this for the next edition? I'm like, no, Brian, please. I just I don't want to leave the oracle alone. I want to leave the rules alone, please. But he, but he, he, he always makes his changes, decisions for the betterment of the game, for the ease of the players. So, and I'm sort of a robot. So, what, what's easy for me, you know, X plus Y. If Y does not happen, then X, blah blah blah, isn't always easiest for the average player. Yes, but I, I do imagine, just in case, uh, yeah, I guess our audience doesn't know. Yeah, as you indicated there, Brooke did. Personally, rewrite all the cards. Brian helped for the. Uh, yeah, it was him and me. Now nah, let's just ignore him. He got okay. plenty of credit anyway. Brooke personally, single-handedly, under the domination of uh, the design team head, Mr. Reese, <laughs> rewrote every single old card. To uh, and now we can just uh, we can have that argument on the forums right now about whether or not Hair Clan should count as a faction oh that you can pull down on the the box. Yeah, I'll, uh, Brian and 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 Don Isley are in are in charge of of the of the formatting of the search. So <laughs> so that is not. I wash my hands of that discussion. <laughs> there you come on. You got to have some stories about. I should. I should about the oracle prepared. and how you figured out what to do with this card. Well, or that basically, card or... it, it involved just just tracking the rules and having done this as a hobby at first before I was on the rules team and and now just tracking the history of the templating changes throughout the game and then retroactively applying them because before diamond edition all tar- uh, before diamond edition all targeting was implied or actually before lotus edition in diamond edition and before all targeting was implied if you had to make a choice of any kind that meant you were targeting and then in lotus edition targeting became implicit and the constraints block magically appeared in lotus edition and and so, and oh, and, and and oh, yes, and before Lotus Edition and the constraints block, that a cost 
was indicated by the word to. If you had to bow this to do something, the bowing was a cost because it came before the word to. And uh, so, things like that. Yeah. Was there any functional need to put targeting, required targeting in the constraints block? Oh, or was it just to help people understand, no, seriously, this is required targeting? Yeah, I, I felt that, you know, if, if it says the word target, it's and if it doesn't say you may before target, that it was fairly explicit that it was required. But but Brian felt, and, and he's, uh, it's not a bad idea that people would understand required targeting more if it was always in one place, and that would be before the colon in the constraints area. And so everything after the colon is just effects or optional targeting if it says target. Yeah, I guess it does go with the whole well, required targeting is stuff you have to do before the effects happen, so right. I guess now it's in, in the, the constraint block, which is before the... Yeah, yeah, we have to be because of the we have to have certain steps that you take actions in because of reactions and traits that trigger and triggered effects and so on and so forth. And yes. Did we lose? Did we lose the last guy? The one last guy who was holding out. Uh, I don't know. We, we we can we can we can talk about why you. Uh, You're so going to you edit could... this to just to just be silky, just smooth as silk. I you? think you ascribe to be powers beyond my cancer. <laughs> well, people do that to me. People do that to Don. <laughs> they think he could just he just snap his fingers and the oracle came to it, whereas it was work and work and work for poor Don. Much kudos to him for putting that oracle together. It's a lovely piece of interface. I just I just put words onto it. He's the one who makes all the buttons actually do stuff. I don't know. Well, yeah, but you could you could see when you. Look at Strange Assembly, our website and stuff. We don't, we don't know how to do pretty, really. Yeah. We know how to do very, very basic. Well, I'm afraid they're kind of probably going to want me back as the grinder's starting in about ten minutes. Now, remember that part where we locked the door? <laughs> you are not going no, anywhere. I remember that part where you said the door was always locked the whole time, <laughs> which makes so me wonder how I got in. I don't... Somebody's lying. Well, <laughs> uh, I hope this has been informative to the people who might have listened to it, or if they just tuned out because the nerd speak got too well, thick. I, I wouldn't worry about it. We uh, I do we worry. Long ago I, on my strange ego's very, fra- my oh, ego's very okay. fragile. Well, I, you know what? If they did not find it both entertaining and informative, it's, it's my fault. It's not yours. You I, are I, I, a, a magnificent I reserve, golden god. Of, thank of you. I reserve, I reserve the right to not believe you whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Thanks th- for coming, Brooke. Well, thank you for having me and... You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter Strange assembly either place. Thanks for listening.